Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning, church. Lovely to see you here. My name is Derek. If we haven't met before, I'm the executive pastor here at Gateway Baptist Church. Great to have you in church today. And uh, as Jason said earlier, we are in the the middle or the beginnings of the Teach Us to Pray series. And uh, I do encourage you, if um, you don't have this booklet, please download it, get the QR code. Even if you're not in a life group, use this time to follow along with us every week in your own private devotions with what God's saying and the direction that the church is going in. It will be, I'm sure, a great blessing to you as we do that. You know, our, our vision is that we want to see more people in more places and more prayer. We want to see prayer happening across our church in a greater way in 2021. I think 2020 taught us that uh, we can very quickly get to the end of our resources. We can very quickly find a worldview that starts to hold us down or tries to hem us in. But our prayer life is our ability to be able to reach into the divine realm and receive from God all that He has for us. And so prayer is not just important for us personally, it's important for us as a church, it's important for the mission of the church, that we are a people of prayer. And uh, there's no doubt that without an active prayer life, the church is powerless. And uh, we want to be a church that's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Does anyone say amen to that this morning? Yeah. So we're going to pray until the power of prayer really grips our hearts. We're going to pray in small groups, in life groups. We're going to pray together. Uh, When we come together corporately here, we're going to encourage you to pray yourself at home. We're going to encourage you to pray in the 24-hour prayer cycle, which is fantastic. Uh, In fact, Jason said to me earlier, he was really hoping no one takes between one and five in the morning. He's really got his heart set on doing that himself. So um, he loves chocolate too, which is probably part of that. Um, But we're studying how Jesus taught us to pray. And as we study, I don't think there's anyone better to actually teach the church how to pray than Jesus. The disciples watched Jesus pray and they were amazed at his prayer life. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said, teach us how to pray. You've got to remember the disciples grew up in a culture of prayer. Their civic and religious life as a Jewish nation was bathed in prayer. They would each day, the Torah says, you shall serve the Lord God with all your heart. Well, how do you serve God in your heart? You serve Him through your prayer life. In your heart is your prayer life before the Lord. So they would have public prayer as a commandment as part of their civic duty three times a day, every day. You imagine that. You imagine living your life today where part of your civic duty in your nation was three times a day to go to the synagogue and pray. They would have morning prayers, afternoon prayers, and evening prayers. And then on the Sabbath, they would still have prayer three times a day, but they'd pray longer during those three times a day. They had seven feasts every year. And in those feasts, they would pray continuously. Their first feast was called Rosh Hashanah. And that was the Jewish New Year. There'd be nine blessings and a hundred blowing of the shofar trumpet. And they would pray every time the shofar was blown. 
that's just the new year. Then they'd have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There was five services, and they would continuously pray for forgiveness during those services. There was Passover. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was seven days. And in that seven days, they would have, in that whole course of the time, continuous services and prayer rituals. The Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of first fruits, etc. They were always praying. And yet in spite of the fact that disciples were always praying in their civic duty, they looked at Jesus and said, teach us to pray. Why? There's just something about what Jesus was doing when he prayed that just was very different. There was something that Jesus was able to walk in because of his prayer life that compelled them. They began to see that at the core of Jesus' life, there was this source of power, and he even said himself, this is where it comes from. Jesus said that the miracles and signs that he did came from his prayer time. In fact, he even counseled the disciples that unless you pray and fast a certain way, these kind of demons won't be cast out. So he was always turning people. Jesus would retreat into the night and pray all night. And when he'd come down, the disciples would say, you must be hungry. And he'd say, oh, no, no, you don't know the sort of food that I'm feasting on. I, uh, I have a food that comes from a different place. And so this prayer life of Jesus was evidence. And so no wonder the disciples said to Jesus, teach us, what aren't we seeing here? What is it about our prayer life where we have this demonstration? And how come your prayer life has this demonstration? And so Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. And we've just stood and we've just said it together. The Lord's Prayer is more, though, than a liturgical piece of Scripture. It's not necessarily just about being recited word for word, however you can. There's nothing wrong with doing that. We've just done it, and you know, many people would use that as their form of prayer, but it's much more than that. The Lord's Prayer is far deeper than that. God wants us to identify with His plan for human purpose that's in that prayer. He's got a plan for you and for the world that's embedded in that prayer, and he wants us to go deeply into what that prayer means so that we can enter into that purpose. And I'm hoping over these next few weeks as we begin to unpack this that, that we'll see that, we'll catch some of what God's about. See, we're about to read the Scripture. As we do, let me point out a few things as we go. Just turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6 and verse 5 to 13. Matthew 6, 5 to 13, it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. And it says this, And when you pray, Jesus is speaking, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Where is he? He's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father, get this, knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. See, before we even read the rest of that prayer, 
Oftentimes people have said, well, prayer is about asking God for the things that I need. I'm not saying we shouldn't. There's been many times I've been on my knees and I've said, God, help me. I need you right now. God, I need breakthrough. I need you to show me the answer. But what Jesus is trying to say right here is, you can pray that way, but your Father already knows what you need. Instead of asking for your needs, why don't you pray like this? I feel like over the centuries, we've developed a habit and we've taught prayer a certain way, but it's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, pray for the stuff you need. Pray for the things you want. Jesus says, no, instead, pray like this. And so he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When Jesus was on the earth, he walked the earth and he did some incredible miracles. And we read about them in the Gospels and they're amazing. And then Jesus taught the people from time to time. But if you were to summarize the subject matter of Jesus's teaching, it was primarily about two things. One, he taught about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He constantly talked about the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. The second thing he spoke about was the Father. He introduced the Jewish nation to the God of their ancestors as a father. So when he was talking about the kingdom of God, he was basically saying God is going to set up and he is setting up a kingdom on this earth. In fact, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's already here. God is about something and I'm wanting you to understand what the kingdom looks like. And so he did signs, he did miracles, he told parables, he spoke about the kingdom personally and he demonstrated what the kingdom looked like. When people wanted to stone the woman who was the, prosti- uh, the woman that was caught in adultery, he wrote on the ground and said, well, if you don't have any sin, you throw the first one. And nobody did and the crowd dispersed. He demonstrated compassion and love when the prostitute was, was bathing his feet while he was lounging at Simon the Pharisee's house. And the people were amazed and shocked. And don't they realize what kind of woman this is? And yet he says to Simon, she's poured out all that she is. Leave her alone. He walked this different walk. He, he brought the tax collectors in for dinner. He kind of was this man who found the unlovely and the poor, the children who had no status whatsoever. He said, let the little children come to me. Stop hindering them in the kingdom of God. He patterned things. He showed things. He taught about the kingdom. And then he spoke about the Father. And he said in the start of this prayer, he says, our Father. He says, as he's teaching the disciples to pray, he says, don't, don't say my father. Don't say your father. Say our father. If I was going to say Jason and I had something in common apart from our dashing good looks. Well, what else do we have really? Apart from that, I'd say our dashing good looks, wouldn't I? Because I'd be including myself and trying to get on his coattails. You know, how hard is that to do? Why did Jesus say, our Father? 
He was putting himself with us. He was declaring the Father heart of God with us and for us. Our Father. And so when he taught us to pray, he connected the kingdom of God to the Father heart of God. And he put them together. And the Lord's Prayer, if you look at it, it's a connection of kingdom and Father heart all the way through. It's an identification of the sons and daughters of God who are going to do a certain thing in the world and transform the world in a certain way. First, they're going to be transformed in their heart, and then they're going to be on mission transforming the world in that same pattern. The Lord's Prayer is both His kingdom plan for the world and His plan for the transformation of your heart. It's both. Essentially, you could read the Lord's Prayer like this. If I was going to do the DP paraphrase version, and if the Lord would so indulge me and uh, would allow me to do it this way, I would read it like this. The Father who is in the heavens is setting up His kingdom on earth by ensuring that His will is done on earth. The people in His kingdom will have a daily source of bread a source of inspiration and power from the Father that will bring this kingdom to life. The people in His kingdom will live in a community of grace. That is, the power to be forgiven and be free from personal guilt and shame, but the power also to generously give others that same freedom. The people in this kingdom will be free from temptation and the oppression of the evil one. And it's all built on this revelation of a loving God as our Father. And so he says, pray our Father. Not Abraham, Father. Not your Father, Abraham, who knew God. Not Moses, who founded the nation, who knew God, but our Father. We're going to pray it together. Jesus stood in the shoes of his creation and elevated our status from outsiders to insiders. Just like that. Our Father is the first line of the prayer because it's a seismic inner shift that Jesus needed in the inner world of your heart. Today, folks, He wants a seismic inner shift to happen in your world. He wants you not to come to God from outside the camp. He doesn't want you to come to God from a position where you are not part of his family. He wants you to stand in the shoes of a son and daughter and then ask for things according to his will. There is a shift that he wants you to make. Essentially, unless humankind makes this inner shift, God won't be able to bring the rest of his kingdom plan to pass. You say, hang on a minute, but God is God. Yes, but God's plan is you. And so he wants to work through you He's working through the church. He's working through those who love him, who call him Father, because they're the only ones that can catch a glimpse of his heart and hear his voice and move according to his will. Really, in this world, God's people are quite peculiar. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're quite peculiar. And the reason that we're peculiar, <laughs> apart from some of the obvious reasons, <laughs> the reasons we're peculiar is because we pray a certain way. 
We desire certain things that other people don't desire. We're doing certain things that other people on the earth aren't doing or they're not prepared to do. We're people that live in a daily revelation of God that nourishes us. Sometimes it's food that nourishes us. Other times it'll be the revelation of God that nourishes us. But either way, it all comes from Him. Whether it's bread that you eat or whether it's manna that feeds your spirit, either way, God's bringing it to you. He nourishes you. Why? Because He wants you strong for the journey. He wants you to know His will. He wants you to know the the way forward. He doesn't want you in indecision. He doesn't want you not knowing what to do. He knows that purpose is incredibly powerful in the human heart. If you have a purpose, you can drive forward with great faith, knowing that that's what God wants you to do. You can expect great things when you know God has told you to do it. He knows that. And so he says, let me give you your bread. Because if you let me give it to you, two things will happen. One, it will nourish you and sustain you. But two, you will learn what I sound like. You'll learn what my voice sounds like inside. And you'll learn to have an inner confidence that will give you such power and purpose with others. They'll look at you and they'll say, what's different about you? You just seem to know where you're going. You just seem to know who you are. You just seem to know you're okay with the world. COVID's everywhere, but you're, you're at peace about this. What's going on? What are you doing? What do you smoke? What do you eat? And we, like Jesus, will also be able to say, we have a food that you know not of. We have a food that you know not of. But the entrance to this kingdom is only possible for sons and daughters. Sons and daughters are on an active reconciliation plan with people around them. They pursue peace at personal cost. They are willing to lay down their lives for peace, to bring reconciliation, to bring people into oneness with them. They're not happy that things are not together and unified. Because the unification they have with their father now needs to spill out with people around them. They are reconcilers. They heat seeking missiles, looking to find things that are broken and fix them and be a part of them and love them and draw them and heal them. They're all about that. They're relentless about it. And these sons and daughters are delivered from the power and the effects of sin. They're not tempted by it and they're not marred by it and they're not scarred by it because their fathers healed them. And that's the picture of the kingdom. It's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. And we say, yeah, yeah, I I know that. That, That'll be one day. Yes, that's true. Right now, this kingdom we're speaking about is an inner kingdom. Jesus came to speak and set up an inner kingdom in this world. But there is a day he will set it up externally too. But it won't change the spirit of the kingdom. It's the same spirit. That's why this kingdom's here. It's at hand, it's already here. You can't see the buildings of the kingdom yet, but it's coming. He will establish that in the time ahead. The entire prayer is focused on bringing an inner revolution. Paul said it this way, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. He said it's not a matter of the external observances of the practices of the law or the things you think you've got to do right. It's not about that. 
It's about, and everybody lent in, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What? I thought it would be about something really important. (laughs) Can I tell you, if you've got righteousness, peace and joy, you've got everything you ever need. You've got everything you ever need. Nothing will be more satisfying than righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you have that, whatever else happens does not matter. You are now living the life of the kingdom. But the first crucial step in the kingdom is righteousness. Before there is peace and joy, there is righteousness. Why is that so important? Because our hearts need to know that before God, we're okay. Before God, we have an absolute direct connection to a Father who loves us, that cares for us, that wants the best for us. We need to know that like we know our own self, that we are righteous before God. Nothing could be cleaner than the righteousness you carry. We need to know that. And so it's a journey because when we first come to God, we come to Him as orphans. We come to Him as looking for a father. We come to one who needs a father. We, we come to one who's made up a whole bunch of myths about who God is. God is this heavenly schoolmaster in the sky somewhere, or He's a king far removed, or He's this impassive force that created the world, or He is you know, someone who did great things but has no relevance to me. And we make up all these stories and you can read a whole bunch of things and we, we decide who God is and God's outside of that narrative saying, you're making this up yourself. That's not who I am at all. I actually want you close to me. And so he sends Jesus and when he sends Jesus, Jesus isn't just our redeemer, although he is our redeemer, but he is a message to us because he is fully God and fully man. It's a message from God saying, that's what righteousness looks like. That's who I've called you to be. See that, that Jesus model, that's you. Fully human, but filled with divine power. That's you. Oh, and our eyes start to open and we start to hear something different and we start to get a sense that we've actually got standing with God greater than we ever imagined we had. And that little idea starts to eke into us and at first we push it away because we say, well, it can't be that, it's far too big. God, God, if God really knew me, why would he offer me that? (laughs) God really does know you and he did offer you that. And he's still saying, come. And after a while we start to realise it's actually not so much what more God's got to do for me, but how I've got to now transform my inner life to see what he's offering me. And I start to walk in it. I start to believe the pattern. And I start to look at the example of who Jesus is and it says something powerful to me. It's a divine statement that says, that's what sonship looks like, Derek. See that? Relationship. Our Father. Jesus, that's exactly the words you prayed and you're saying to me, I pray them the same as you prayed them. That's what I'm saying, son. Pray it like I pray it, because I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, which means I've got to stand in Him and with Him, and from that place, He is Father, and righteousness, 
And once righteousness establishes itself, then peace and joy starts to come. Because it's not built on the things I have or the things I've achieved or the, my status or my recognition or my title or whatever. I start to realize my title doesn't matter. My righteousness with God is all that matters. Because once I'm free, I'm free. And now peace starts to get hold of my heart and joy starts to happen because peace is for me, but joy is for you. If I'm joyous, I'll bring peace. I'll be a person of righteousness because joy is my strength. And now I'm strong. Now I've got bread to live from. And it's the heaven that's come to earth. The inner kingdom that becomes the outer experience. God had a plan for this from the beginning of time and we get that explicit view of this in John 17. It's like we can eavesdrop a little conversation. Like we don't really hear what Jesus prays to the Father. When he goes away all night to pray, you know, we, we, we hear that he prays and he turns up the next day and he walks on the water and he does a whole bunch of amazing things. But we don't really know what he says to the Father except in John 17. Let's just jump in for a minute. We get to eavesdrop on Jesus' private prayer time. I'm kind of glad no one eavesdrop on mine because <laughs> it's all kinds of different things happen in mine. But they wrote this one down. It says in John 17 and verse 20, Jesus is praying, I do not pray for these alone. In other words, for the disciples that are there sleeping <laughs> when they should be awake. But I also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And get this bit, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. What's the glory that Jesus has? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's the most glorious thing you'll ever have said over your life. They may give you an OBE, an MBE, a WE. They'll give you any kind of E you want. They'll put sir in front of your name or madam. They'll give you a title. They may even give you the status of something great on this earth that people will bow down to, but nothing is greater than God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Nothing. Nothing. Because at the end of the day, it's all going to go. And if I hear that from God, the world is at peace. They can do what they like to my body. They can do what my, they like to the world around us. I will pray for it for as long as we can. But at the end of the day, my Father will look after us. We'll be okay. We will be okay. Jesus didn't say that they will be part of us or that we'll accept them or somehow or other, you know, they'll be, they'll eke their way in. They'll slip in the back door of heaven. Somehow or other, someone will leave the back door open and, and you'll get in there just out of the skin of your teeth because, you know, the Holy Spirit forgot to lock the back door and you made it. Oh, as long as I just sneak in, I'll be happy. I've heard plenty of people say that. Oh, I'll be happy just to sneak in. God doesn't see where I am. I'll just get in, I'll hide in there behind the lounge until God goes, whoa, what's that noise behind there? Someone's crunching on potato chips. Oh, it's Jason Fitters. He just snuck in the back door. No, 
That's not true at all. You'll come because you're the righteousness of God. That's the reason you'll get into heaven. Because God will look at you like he looks at his son and he'll say, they are one in us. They are one in us. That is a powerful piece of affirmation. It does your heart good to let that meditate in your heart for about 20 years. Let that seek into your heart until eventually you believe what God wants you to believe. And so Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. He goes to the cross. He rises again. He talks to his disciples for a bunch of days. And then he leaves the earth and he says, it's better that I go so that I can send a helper. And when he comes, he'll help you. And so the mission of the Spirit is to achieve what Jesus wants to achieve through the Lord's prayer. Because that's the prayer for the earth. That's the prayer for you. That's the prayer for this whole thing that we're involved in. And so Romans 8 verse 14 shows us what the Spirit is all about. Romans 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs, then joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's the Spirit's mission. He's crying out inside you all the time, Abba Father, hoping you'll start to listen to it and believe it. Just keeps crying it out. Just keeps crying it out. Just keeps crying it out. Abba Father. Every now and then we get a glimpse of it because we get past our own insecurity. And sometimes you'd be standing in a, in, a, in a room where you're worshiping. You might be at your home praying. You might be in a desperate situation. You might see some breakthrough. You might get a healing in your body. You might hear about something that happens that just breaks your heart. And suddenly for a minute you put aside that insecurity and you get a sense of the fact that God is for you and you worship Him in a way you've never done before. Anybody ever done that? And, we, and that passes, that time passes, and we say, oh, that was so great. I wish I could go back to that place. Well, okay, go back to that place. Because he's crying out, Abba Father, inside you all the time. He wants you to enter the other dimensions of the kingdom that you won't enter unless that word becomes a part of your life. And so Paul says, the real enemies of the kingdom aren't people, No, 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 not people. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, strongholds and arguments and high things. They want to bring you into captivity so your thought life is imprisoned outside of the righteousness of God. In that prison, you can't be free to be who God's called you to be. You can't be free to bring the kingdom prayer, the Lord's prayer into being. You can't flow with reconciliation. You can't flow with other people in that way. You can't hear the bread of life every day. You can't walk in the power of the Spirit to be free from sin. You can't do it. So if I can keep you bound, the devil can keep you bound in your thoughts. That's what we're wrestling. I'm not fighting people. I'm fighting the fact that I can't yet, not yet, I don't want to say can't yet, I am progressing towards a full realisation of what God says. 
See, orphans pray a certain way and they don't pray like that. Orphans pray like this. And you hear it in the prodigal son. Even if I become a servant in my father's house, I'll be better off. That's what orphans pray. Oh, if I could just, essentially, if I could just sneak in the back door. That's what that is. That's what an orphan sounds like. Oh, if God will just turn his eye to all the things I've done for a minute and I could just sneak in, I'll be okay. Slaves pray a different way. Slaves pray like this. Give me the rules, God, and I will obey them. That's what slaves pray like. Now, Paul said, you're not orphans and you're not slaves, you're sons. Let me give you a photo of my son for a minute. A handsome looking rooster he is, hey? Comes from good stock, that boy. His mother's side, in case you were wondering. How did this kid get the idea he was my son? Just leave it up there for a bit. Apart from the fact he's been cursed with a little bit of similar look as me, how else did he get it? You know how he's found out he's my son? I've been telling him for 19 years. He's lived in my house. I've been telling him. At times when he was younger, he'd say, I want a different parent than you. I'd say, I know you do, but you're stuck with this one. See, something gets healed inside our heart when our father keeps telling us, you belong to me. You belong to me. You belong to me. You belong to me. Something gets shaped. Something gets affirmed in our inner world. If I was to take that son and say to him, now he's 19, and I would say this to him now, he's a, he's a young man of a great character. If I gave him the keys to my car and I said, mate, I want you to go down the road. It needs four new sets of tires on it. Here's my credit card. Here's my keys. You've now got everything of great value. There's a, not that there's that much money on the credit card, by the way, but anyhow, here, take the keys, take the credit card. I want four new sets of tires. This is sort of what I'm looking for, but it's your decision. You decide. It's up to you. Just put some good ones on. I'd like them all to match. What's that do to him? See, there's something about authority that rises out of identity. When you hear your father affirm something to you, it gives you an authority to act for your father. It gives you an authority. He can walk down there to that shop and say, with my card, I'd like to buy four cars, please, and I'd like these ones. And they say, oh, you could have the choice between these ones. Mm, I think I'll take them because I'm pretty sure dad would like them. See, that's the difference between slaves and sons. Slaves say, tell me exactly what to do so I can get it right. Sons say, I know my dad's heart. I'll find out what he wants. He'll get, I know he'll be happy with this. And fathers give their sons permission to grow in their sonship. Don't you think that's what our father is like? Authority quenches insecurity. Authority quenches insecurity. I trust you, son. You do make the decision. Act for me. Sons don't act out of presumption because they know what their father's will is. So what other people look and say, that's presumptive that you talk like that about your father. Sons go, no, it's not. I know him. That's, that's what he's like. I know my dad. And that's what God wants from us. He is no different.
He has an inner blueprint for our lives that He wants to transform our lives and it starts from the place of our Father. Our Father. Let's just pray this morning. God, we want our space at this time of the meeting to reflect on the fact that you are way better than we ever imagined you were. God, you are so generous to us that our minds really can't grab it. But your spirit is amongst us to help us. You're here, spirit of God, to show us and lead us and open our eyes. Take our fingers off the grip on things that are harming us, mindsets of the orphan, mindsets of the slave, and coming into a real relationship with our daddy father, our Abba, the one who sees us, who loves us, who wants to permission us with kingdom authority to be about the work of the Father's kingdom. Receiving from the Father, healing those around us, loving and forgiving those around us and seeing the enemy flee from our lives. God, that's the kingdom you ask us to pray about. I pray today, God, that a fresh revelation of that would come to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.